again, welcome back to Laundromat Insights. I'm your host, Randy Radke. Today, we are talking laundromat location and are joined by Brad Harris from Laundry Solutions Company. Welcome, Brad. Thanks, Randy. It's a pleasure to be here. So we always like to start out by getting a little bit of info on our guests. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what happens over at Laundry Solutions Company. Well, we are the commercial speed queen dealer for four plus states. My background personally is I was in another corporate job, actually the beer business. My position got downsized and I was looking to make a change. And the laundry world, specifically coin laundries, has always held a lot of interest to me because it seemed to be a business that was not done right all the time or right from my experience and what I've seen. So I had a lot of interest to that. And somebody much smarter than me said, don't ever buy a business without knowing about it. So at that same time, someone else that I knew was in another business and they had the opportunity to buy at the time Key West. And at that point, I approached him and said, I am looking to get into this field. I don't want to do what I did because you already have somebody in that position. Just give me an area and I'll just be a salesman. So that was about 10 years ago that I was doing that. And I handled kind of outstate Missouri and then I picked up all of Arkansas and now I have some of Kansas as well. But I was able to buy a laundry, an existing location, my wife and I, about 10 years ago and rehabbed it. And then since then, we have added two additional locations inside of Springfield, which is where our home office is. So definitely a unique perspective, both sides of the, the coin with owning it and, and actually helping others get into it. Yeah, I think that when you look at things, I want... If I'm doing business with somebody, I want somebody that knows as much as possible and has done everything already. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. And the laundry business on the outside seems fairly simple, the coin laundry world. So by getting in a business, I was able to take all of my corporate knowledge because I had a lot of corporate knowledge and I did a lot of training for personnel that worked at the distributor level. So I took all of that knowledge and applied it to our first laundromat. And there were some hiccups, but I was able to learn a lot and kind of manifest that with each location so that we could kind of fine tune it. And we're still working on it because the market changes, people's expectations changes. So, yeah, I think that we do offer something pretty, pretty unique in that perspective is because I, I'm not just a salesman. I live it every day. So location, this, this really is the make or break point of getting in the business, correct? I mean, if, if it's done wrong you're going to have a tough time recovering. If you do it right, you should be on, on really solid footing and get off to a good start, correct? Absolutely. There is nothing more important. I'm sure you have heard this from a business standpoint, that it's location, location, location. Now, with that being said, there has been some shifts, even in the 10 years that I've been in the business. It used to be that everybody was really focused on getting next to a Walmart or a Dollar General or a Dollar Tree or an O'Reilly's. And that's certainly not unimportant because that's going to be some of your customer base. But I think what we're seeing now with the laundromats of today and the future is that you're going to be a destination. Now, location is obviously important because you don't want to be 100 miles away from nothing. But I think if every component is hitting at your laundromat, you will be a spot that they go to. They're not doing other things. Does that make sense? I mean, they are going to you and they're not leaving until they're done and then they're taking off. So you certainly want to be somewhere that's visible. I think that that is critical. And you have to have good visibility inside the store as well, as well as parking. And you have to have a well-lit place that people feel safe. 
And I think safety has really come to light in the last three years because people just won't walk into someplace that they don't feel safe or that they can't see into. You know, if there's no inside visibility, there's just a door. Nobody's going to walk into that. Do you think that's really a kind of an example of the folks that are doing it right and creating safe environments, whereas before you maybe didn't have a selection? Maybe the most laundries were the same. They were dark. They weren't well kept. And now you see owners that are coming in and really doing it at a high level and offering that customer experience that that really makes makes it a destination. Well, it's funny that you say that because you're exactly right. I mean, that's what it's about. It is about the experience. You know, people today on any given level, they're all, everybody's aspirational at some point, right? So for most people, there's one thing that they can do in their life that makes them feel special, rich, powerful, whatever the point may be. If you can bring that to surface in your business, and I mean any business, to where it, when they walk in, they feel like, wow, this is, the most incredible thing I've ever seen, then yeah, you have them and they'll continue to come back as long as you provide that experience. You're also looking at four, four pretty specific customer types. Can you kind of walk through what people should be looking at in that area? Yeah, Randy, you know, it's a great point. There are four types of people that will use your laundromat. So the first three is the three that most laundry owners experience, right? You have your first group, which is just they're never going to have equipment for whatever reason. A laundromat is something they have been using since they've had laundry. You know, this is a customer that comes in on a regular basis, weekly. You'll see them a lot. You'll get to know them. They're probably not using bigger equipment because they're coming in every single week. It's a gap that they want to fill in their lives. It gives them something to do. So they're great customers and they're going to pay your utilities. Your second group is a group that just doesn't have equipment right now. You know, they're on the way up or are on the way down. Or they're downsizing, you know, they decided that they don't just don't want to maintain a washer and dryer anymore. They're a temporary type of person. They're going to use you probably because they saw you somewhere and they're around you. Now, this is a group that, since they don't use laundromats all the time, is certainly going to be more interested in alternate payment sources, right? Something other than just coin. Because most people carry less and less cash than they did. So the third group is a group that has equipment at home but either doesn't want to do what they're bringing in or one of their pieces has gone down. Say they come in and they want to do a dog bed or a horse blanket or a tent, something that their equipment can't handle or something that they feel like they don't want to put in their washer, which is beautiful for us because they're going to use big machines. And if you set a store up the way that you should in today's world, you're going to have a, a lot of big equipment. So you'll be able to satisfy that. Now that group, is really concerned about alternate payments because they walked in the door and probably didn't realize that you couldn't pay with a credit card because their whole world revolves around being able to pay with a credit card. True. So those are the three groups that laundromats up until, you know, the last 10 years, that's really the only groups they cared about. Now, the fourth group is a group that emerging laundries try to cater to specifically. It's a group that has their own equipment. They just don't want to do their laundry. No matter how much money you have, you cannot buy time. With that being said, if you can hand your laundry to somebody and get it back folded and bagged and ready to go in the drawers, that's a huge savings for them. So this group, which we found at some of our locations, may not have even existed until we opened because they just didn't realize that was even an option out there. But the fact that they can bring it, drop it off and pick it up in a span of five minutes or less is a huge benefit. And from an owner standpoint, 
say you can, if you're doing 20 pounds of laundry inside a laundromat, it's probably going to cost you less than five bucks, right? Out the door, wash and dry. If you give it to us to do it, it's going to be $25. That's a, that's a huge profit swing. So trying to capture that group that's very elusive is where I think most laundromats are trying to get to, or at least I hope that they're trying to get to right now, is to be able to capture all four of those segments of customers. For sure, for sure. Are there demographic musts that you really are look at as foundational elements that if they're not there, you got to move on, you got you to gotta try another location? What are those keys that you're looking for within that realm? It's, it's a little different in our world because we are in the Midwest. So we don't have the great population density. But certainly if you were looking at a place to have a viable laundromat of any kind of profitability, you need a base of 10,000. And now the more concentrated the population, the better off you would be. And certainly if you have a lot of renters, you know, they're more than likely going to fall in those first three groups of users. So the more that you can have, the better. But I think one of the things that shifted, or at least for me personally, I would look at a market and see how many laundromats there were, right? Like everybody else does. You do your due diligence. If you're going out, if you have a place that has, say, 100,000 people, 10 laundromats, and none of them are attended, and you're going to put an attended store in, yeah, you could go anywhere. And I think that's the future for laundromat owners, because if somebody were to ask me today, and they do, where should I go? There's very few markets in the United States, or it's certainly in my world, that are underserviced. There's laundromats there. Everywhere you go that you think, man, this would be a great place for a laundromat, there probably is one right now because the business has been around for a while. Now, if you're willing to offer drop-off, you're fully attended, and you know maybe you're doing pickup and delivery, then I think that that market exists to anybody anywhere. Well, let's dovetail a little bit on that. I've talked to a, a few owners who said, you know what? I'm okay being on the edge of an upper middle class area because I'm going to tap into theoretically that wash dry fold, but also that group that wants the big washers that are bringing in those those quilts or bedding twice a year. Are you guys kind of seeing that that same shift? This is where a lot of people differ, I think. I'm of the opinion that I would I would live in a world of just drop-off customers, that I controlled everything, or our employees, right? So we controlled the items coming in, we controlled them getting washed, we controlled the amount of soap going in the machines, we knew that every load was good, we knew that every load was soap dried. Having that control in a laundromat, can you imagine how much longer your equipment would last as opposed to having every single person in the world walk in that may or may not know how to do laundry correctly? and may or may not care about how your equipment is treated. So yeah, being somewhere that you can get that fourth group and make a viable business out of it, absolutely. We have customers that have done it in our world. We have a customer in Tulsa that is in a very affluent area that if you looked at that 10 years ago and said, oh, there's no way you you can't make it there. Everybody has their own equipment and they certainly do, but they also stop by his place and let them do their laundry every single day. So, yeah, I think that's a big shift. Interesting. What about the building? How big do I need to be considering it? What are your thoughts in that realm? That's an interesting question. I don't know if there is. There's certainly not one size meets all, or somebody would have had a, the McDonald's of coin laundries in the United States right now. I think that it really depends. For me, if I was advising somebody, I would say, look at your competition. If you're trying 
to beat them, that's your minimum. So that is your app. That's your size. If they are 3,000 square feet, then you need to be at least 3,000 square feet. Now, one of the shifts with what's currently going on is, you know, we see some markets. And again, this is not my world. So I can't speak to Chicago, Boston, New York, where they're really limited on floor space. In my world, we have space. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a laundromat that has some space inside that's maybe spread out a little more to give people the ability to not bump into each other all over the place. And I think that's something that we'll see if you have the ability to do that. But really, the way that we look at it is we back into it. So from a sizing standpoint, you want to be wide and not as deep, right? So let's use 60 by 50, 3,000 square feet. And there is a there is a layout that we use that we've used for uh, several years now that works because we've seen it work. And it's scalable as long as the place is wider than it is deep. As long as you fit in those parameters, because there was a time that people had laundromats that were bowling alley type, right? So you walk in the door and it's long and narrow. And that was fine when you only had small equipment. But when you start to get into the bigger machines, that footprint, that, that kind of spacing doesn't really work. So I think rectangular is really what you look for. But then it goes back to, again, is there good window coverage? Is there parking? You know, is it at a stopping point? There's some other stuff, but I don't know if there's a cookie cutter other than rectangular. And that rectangular design also contributes to that safety, right? Yeah. So ideally, if you picture that rectangle, sliding doors, because that's one of the things that people don't don't think about. You know, people are coming in with laundry in their hands. They don't want to have to mess with the door. Sliding doors right in the middle and then a bank going the same direction that they're walking on either side, right? So two banks of washers and dryers. Now, the reason for that is if you're looking outside, you can see everything and then dryers behind that on a single wall. Everything is visible. There's no dead spots in your place that somebody could potentially be lurking. And I don't mean to sound like that, but there's a place that you can't, you can see everything from the outside when you're looking in, as opposed to some of the other designs that were kind of broken up or they'd have different rooms that you couldn't see everything. But it definitely goes back to, do you feel safe and do you feel invited? Is it inviting to look at and to walk in and well lit? Makes sense. As we look at location, what what's the, the naughty list, so to speak? What are the mistakes that you've seen people make when it comes to location? If you go back to the fact that you are going to be a destination, there's two ways that you can arrive at that destination. You can be at a point that has the traffic count. Or you can be at a point that doesn't, and then you have to pay to do that. And I think that that is a, I think a lot of people, when they look at real estate, think, but it's so much cheaper to be just two blocks off. Well, that's all fine and good. But if the traffic count drops off 80% and nobody drives down to where you are, and it's like you're rolling through an abandoned city, it's probably not the best place to be. And if you have to spend all that money just to get people known that you're there, There's part of the groups that use your laundromat that are transient by nature. And I don't mean that they don't have homes. I just mean that they go to where the work is, right? So if you have to constantly get your message out because people are moving and don't know that you're there because they don't drive by you, yeah, I think that that can really hinder your ability to run a profitable business. There was a time that we would say, if you're getting into the business, buy an existing and then retool it. Well, the challenge is, is if that existing only had 30 top loaders, it's tough to convert that to the type of equipment that people want without major changes inside anyway. And if you're going to have to do that, you might as well start off with a box and do it right from the get-go. Do you guys see a lot of people go that route? 
find find a spot, find the land and and build it from the ground up exactly how I want it. Lately, we've seen a a real shift in people that are going with fully attended stores. Yeah, they they want that. They want the ground up or they want a white boxed place that they can do exactly what they want on the inside. And I think that's fantastic. Now, with that being said, just like any business, you you still have to refresh it. So keep in mind that every five years, you're probably going to have to change everything. Now, the question you get asked all the time, and I'll ask it here again, timing, what can I expect when I come to you, Brad, and I say, I want this thing open in three to six months, find me a location and let's start making money. It's funny that you say that because yeah, we do get asked that a lot. And the reality is to hinder your expectation, it's going to take a year. Once you just, and when I say a year, I'm talking about once you have your finances in place and you're ready to go and you've narrowed down where you want to be. Yeah. It's, it's a year. Now I've seen people do it in less. I like to give worst case scenario because the last thing I want to do is go, Absolutely. We can do it in four months. And then in six months, they're going, yeah, we're still not done. I'm like, yeah, well, I may have been wrong. You have to give people realistic timelines so that they understand when they're at month 10, 11, and they're not getting, and they're getting frustrated because they ran into whatever hiccup, you know, they couldn't get their plans approved. The city hasn't zoned it right. You know, they, they're still waiting for somebody to approve their plans at the city level or the state level. Or they're waiting for their engineer to get mechanical plans back. There's a lot. There's a lot of different layers to it, and every city is different. So you just have to hedge. You have to hedge that. And and I think a year is a good rule of thumb. Because the second half of that discussion is me saying, "Come on, Brad. I know a couple contractors. I got this concrete guy. Everyone's ready to go. We can do it in less than a year, right?" Yeah, and then you start making the calls, and then I get those calls and go. Three months out before I can do anything. <laughs> yeah, that that's the world we live in. And surprisingly, right now, we as a company, you know, we have a half dozen projects in the pipeline. And the only reason that they're not open is because they just can't get anybody to do the work. That people are backed up that far. And we thought, well, the commercial market's just going to, you know, the floor is going to drop out of it. But in our world, we haven't seen that even any. What other considerations should I have as I look at location? I, I really think it still goes back to, is it well lit? Is it visible? Is there good windows? I like stopping points. I don't want the traffic to be flying by. So someplace where the, where the speed limit is reasonable, I think is important. Because what you have to understand is that people are creatures of habit. So even though you put something there, they may look at it once, they may not need it. I kind of, you know, a laundromat's kind of one of those things you see people advertising car lots all the time. And you're like, why in the world would they do that? You know, how often do you buy a car? Well, it's not a matter of how often you buy a car. It's a matter of when you're ready to buy that car, who comes top of mind and that's who they're going to use. So you have to be, you have to have that same mindset when you start looking at a laundromat, you want to be somewhere that's going to be top of mind. And the other thing, the conversation that I have with people is don't be confused. Everybody is doing their laundry right now. They're not sitting with a pile under it by the front door going, man, I can't wait for them to open. Because we've seen this, you know, we've been on site with locations that are trying to get open and people will drive up with laundry in their car. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to be open for two days. Come back. And they're like, no, I got to do my laundry right now. I'll find someplace. 
Absolutely. That, that is the beauty of the business, right? Everyone has to do laundry. It won't wait. It's going to pile up and I'll be here again next week. Absolutely. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining us, uh, sharing your expertise uh, when it comes to long ca- location and all things laundry. Well, Randy, I certainly appreciate it. And uh, if you guys ever need anything again, just let me know. It's a good time. Absolutely. We will do that. And we'll see you next time when we share more laundromat insights. Until then, keep those machines turning. Great.